children dismissed to the children's church at this time. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 3. And yes, we're going to be spending most of our time in one of the most beloved verses in all the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 16. And uh, if you do know this verse, and even if you do not, I want you to read it aloud with me. And let's read it very carefully together uh, in a course, if we can. Here we go, right at the beginning. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. One of the most well-known verses, in fact, uh, several years ago, uh, I don't know if they still do this, but the people were uh, showing up at uh, sporting events in the stadiums, and they'd have a banner, and it would just say, John 3, 16. And I, I remember talking with a gentleman, and he said, what is that? I said, glad you asked, and opened up the Bible and shared with him that verse that uh, that was there. Uh, uh, Someone said the entire Bible rolled up into one verse, John 3.16. And it is the entire story of God's love. But we live in a world that really thinks this is the problem, not the answer. And one of the things that you can always trust is if it comes from the world, it's backwards of the Bible. And if it isn't backwards, it's so messed up that you couldn't find out which end was the front anyway. Uh, Yesterday, passing out tracks, a young lady was walking down the other side and she had a t-shirt on and it said, Uh, Elizabeth Warren, she has a plan for that. And I, I just looked and I said, you really believe that? Oh, yes, certainly much more than the guy that's there now. Oh, she was just animated. And I'm sitting there going, wow, what a tragedy. Uh, They've asked Elizabeth Warren what her plans are. And we're still waiting. You you just answered the same answer she did. Uh, It's unbelievable. Oh, we're just going to pay for it. Oh, well, uh, that didn't work so well under the last one. And and it doesn't work so well when you run up your credit card debt. Uh, Better be careful. You know, God only has one plan. For God so loved the world. You know, we get this thought that somehow we're going to solve the problem. I mean, I didn't necessarily plan things this order, but the Sunday school lesson, the children of Israel were complaining about the manna, and they weren't satisfied with what God was giving them. And And we condemn them, and rightly so, but how often do we try to go around God's plan?
people have said, well, I'll, I'll just take care of it my way. Well, I want you to understand that there is only one plan. And when you care about somebody, when you really try to do something to help someone out of a proper motive, uh, do you do your second or third best? Or do you do your absolute best? If you really care about someone, would you give them the leftovers? Or would you do something specially for them? And see, sometimes we accuse God of handing us the leftovers. Well, that's okay, you know. I mean, God did the, uh, the best that he could, but, you know, we, we need more than that. I, I, I want you to grasp this today. If you get nothing else from this message, that God's love demanded him to do the only best thing that could be done. There are no seconds. There are no alternatives. There is no uh, second guessing or uh, if this plan fails, uh, we have a backup. And uh, like the little chant that sometimes the paratroopers use, it says, I got my parachute here. And if that doesn't work, I got my backup here. And if that doesn't work, I'll hit the ground before you do. Uh, and... Uh, that's the way the world thinks. But I want you to understand, God doesn't need a backup. He doesn't need a secondary. There are no fail-safes because there is only one option and God's love demands that it be the only and best option. Jesus is not the problem. He is the answer. But I do want you to understand... It was Jesus himself that said, there are going to be many that come in my name. And they're going to be false prophets. I mean, oftentimes people say, well, religion is the biggest problem in the world today. And I'd say, well, just a moment. I said, would you allow me to add just one adjective to your statement? And you and I will agree 100% false religion is the greatest problem in the world today. A misunderstanding of God. Why did, in the Middle Ages, the, the Catholic Pope raise armies and decimate Eastern Europe and Turkey and murder tens of thousands? No one knows the total number of casualties and pillage and damage and murder and other crimes committed by the Crusaders. I mean, it, it is one of the darkest chapters in human history. Why did that happen? Because a false religious leader had a false understanding of what the Bible says and he said, because I am Christ's representative on earth, which he wasn't, isn't, never was, never will be. And the kingdom is all falling apart and Israel is in the hand of the heathen. I will redeem and set up the kingdom of God on earth. 
and opened the chapters to the darkest imaginations of man's sinful nature and fanned on by the promise of the Pope that no matter what crime you commit in the name of God, it will be forgiven you. Wow. I don't encourage you to study the history books, but if you doubt my telling of the story, go read them. They're terrible. Unbelievable. And yet, here's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world. God. Do you, do you realize... We do, but we don't. It's not about you. It's about God. If we could just stop living our lives about us. One of the reasons people don't get saved. Well, I just don't know if I have enough faith. I'm just not sure I can make that commitment. Uh Excuse me, does God save you because of your great sincerity or because of your great faith? Or uh, is God going to look down and say, wow, that guy really means it. I'll save him. That's foolishness, my friend. God saves us because he loves us. God saves us because his original intent is that every human being would trust in God and recognize God for who He is. And I hope you don't mind getting here. When when people stop saying, oh my God, I'll stop condemning it from the pulpit, all right? Uh, But everybody wants to blame God for everything. Oh my God. Oh Please, if that is your habit, you need to fix it because it is blasphemy to the character of the God of the Bible. Sin is what brings death and suffering in this world. God wasn't kidding when he said, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, through James in his letter to the uh, believers in the first century. The wages of sin is death. I don't care what sin it is. It brings death. God loved us. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. It's amazing to me as we look in this world in which we live and we hear the screams and the cries of the people who say the problem is the Bible and we need to remove the Bible from our society and if only we could get rid of the Bible, uh, everything would be fine. Have you ever met anyone who said anything like that that had a smile on their face? Or was happy about anything? I never have. I don't believe I ever will. Now, I've met some Christians that have pretty rotten attitudes about things. And and, and, uh, the Bible's very clear. You need to get that fixed. Amen? 
And, and I, I often quote Brother Clayton. He's the man that really trained me in the ministry. And he said, I believe what they believe. I'm just not mad about it. And I said, yeah, that's, that's where I want to be. I, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that life more abundantly. And I want you to understand that God loved the world, the whole world. He sends His reign on the just and the unjust. God has put us on this planet and He keeps things working in spite of the environmentalists. Amen? Uh, I, I just really trembled to meet a person who believes in a God so small that they have to protect His creation or they're going to lose it. See, my God is so big, not only did He create things, He's protecting it. And and He made it with resilience. And we can give so many examples of that that we're not even going to take time. But it says, For God so loved the world. If you want to make a study of comparative religion, uh, don't recommend it. As part of my training as a pastor was learning about other religions. Uh, I'll tell you where I learned the most about other religions is talking to people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things I like to ask people, So what does your God do with your sin? You know what the most answer is? Oh, he forgives it. He he gets rid of it. Well, how does that happen? Uh, How many of you are familiar with the toxic environment of our federal government at this point? Is there anybody that isn't... uh, it isn't familiar. I mean, all you got to do is tune into the news. And, and, and I mean, there's just so much out there. You want me to tell you why there's so much poison in our government today? Is because people have taken misdeed after misdeed, uh, felonies and crimes against this nation and against other human beings, and said... Uh, We're going to be big about this and just forget about it. Well, you may forget about it, but the person you hurt hasn't forgot about it. And so they're going to bring it up and and it's just going to... It's brought us to the mess where we are today. Do you realize that only in the Bible, no other religion offers forgiveness on God's scale and by God's standard? How do you know if something is right or wrong? I mean, that's a pretty basic question, isn't it? Uh, I don't think you can get any more basic than that. When when we're talking about God uh, and we talk about sin, uh, how do we know what is right and wrong? Well, in the Bible, in the world of the Bible, in the world of the Creator, it's real simple. Sin is transgressing the character of God. 
And sin brings forth death. That's why eating the fruit in the Garden of Eden was a sin. God said, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because once you step over that boundary, you're going to a place that you're never coming back from. Say, well, what was the big deal with eating the apple? It wasn't an apple. It was the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, what was it like? It doesn't matter. Hello? It was the transgression of the character of God that mattered. Now, how many of you have difficulty loving other people? Would you just lift up a hand to a testimony of that? Well, we've got a few honest ones. I mean, my hand's up. It's human nature. We, we don't want to love other people. You know why? Because I just hate putting up with people who aren't as good as I am. You know, that's just... You would never say that out loud, but that's what each of us say in our own hearts. Now, isn't it? It's not amen, it's oh me. Yeah, that's right. Sad. But God loved the world when we were still enemies with him. Only God could love like that. No other religion talks about a God like that. A God so perfect in his holiness that every sin has to be paid for that keeps a record of every misdeed committed by every human being. Can you imagine the libraries that God has with every life listed in the history of mankind and every misdeed that they have done? That that just blows my mind. Even in the world of computers and Gigabytes and terabytes and uh, whatever is above that, I, uh, that's still more information than my mind can fathom. And yet God's record keeping is absolutely perfect. He said the books are going to be opened and people are going to be judged out of those books. It is a written record of your life. And yet it says here, That God loved the world. He so loved the world. He understands sin like nobody else. Years ago, we had a youth group come up here from somewhere Midwest. And and, uh, they had trained their teens in their youth group to do mimes. I don't know about you, but there's nothing in my... Uh, record book that's more creepy and weird and useless than a mime. Um, they just represent everything that I don't like about the world, all right? The Bible tells us to speak, not to remain silent. And, and one of the things he said, well, we have these skits and they really help people understand about their sin. And I just looked at this Young man in the ministry, I knew his father, and, and, and I said, 
excuse me, do you know where you are? He said, what do you mean? He said, you're in New York City. Do you think there is anyone living in this city that doesn't know what sin is? Excuse me. We, we don't need any more lessons on sin here. We wrote the book. We, we, need, we need to understand the love that God has for the world. And you're not going to do that through drama, through mimes. You can do it by talking about an old rugged cross. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave. You know, there, there's a problem with love today in our world, what we call love. How many of you have ever heard this? If you really love, you will fill in the blank. We've had presidents. If you really love this country, you'll pay your taxes and all of them. Well, wait a minute. If you really love this country, why don't we talk about the national cemeteries maintained by the United States on every inhabited continent who are filled with the remains of soldiers and sailors and service personnel who sacrificed their lives, some of them in training, some of them lifting and moving crates so that our soldiers would have their supplies and an accident happened and they died. If you really want to understand love for your country, let's go visit the cemeteries instead of the IRS. How about that? Would would that be such a far leap? You see, people use the word love when they want to get something. God uses the word love when he gives something. There's a difference. If you have known true love between two human beings on this earth, you can understand just the teeniest little bit of how much God loves us. One of the reasons we have such a perverse understanding of love is because we no longer know Our society does not possess the dictionary to understand what love is. We've thrown it away. You know why? Because we threw out the Ten Commandments and we threw out prayer and we threw out any reference of God in our national society. And now we stand here and love is something that we uh, talk about when we're trying to get something. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. What did he give? His only begotten son. 
Now, I know that may be confusing to some. If you read Hebrews chapter 2, it tells us that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren. Uh, it, It says in other passages that God's design is that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren uh, that God wants to call us. It says, if we will touch not the unclean thing, that we will, God himself will call us sons and daughters. But there is only one that was born God in human flesh. I did more writing and printing of paper, pages of paper, in the theology class I took on Christology than any other class. And, uh, I mean, over a hundred pages of written paper for that one class. It was crazy. Uh, And you know what? We, We spent hours and hours and hours where the professor was trying to explain and help us to understand how that God became flesh. And I remember all the notes and I remember all the words, but you know what I really like? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. You know, our theme this year is except you be converted and become little children. To be followers of God is dear children. Those are hard things because it goes against everything that we are. But if we'll just stop and understand this truth, the only begotten Son of God was given to us, was given to this world because of God's love. You know what? That explains so many things. That there's a whole book of questions we no longer need to ask. Amen? If we will understand this about God. Hebrews 11.6, how often do we go there? He that cometh to God must believe that he is... And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith is believing in God and that God is good. You look around you. You listen to the world. You listen to the other religions out there. I mean, how about we pick on the Hindus for a moment? How many gods in the Hindu faith? When I was a little boy, I remember very clearly someone telling us there were 3,000 gods in the Hindu faith. I think the number has risen to around 300 million today is the standard definition of the Hindu faith. Uh, and, And part of that is just due to our love of numbers. When I was a little child, the human body had... uh, uh, what was it, uh, between uh, 
3 and 5 billion cells. Now it has 10 trillion. Now, either I put on weight or uh, somebody's redefined cells or, I mean, the simple line is you can have as many gods in the Hindu faith as you desire. And you can worship one, all, or none, and still be Hindu. Isn't that cool? The way you want it. But the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. See, that was the problem with the Romans. They were willing. They, When they conquered the... They didn't really conquer. They just took over administration of the Greek Empire before them. And they took all the Greek gods and renamed them and put them in their own pantheon. And the Christians came along and said, Listen, Jesus is God. They said, Fine. We'll... We'll add them to the pantheon, just like we've done everybody else. So, no, no, you don't understand. Jesus is the head God. Well, you know, we're capable of making a mistake. Uh, we, can, we can put him right beside Zeus. In fact, in order to make you happy, we'll put him above Zeus. He said, no, no, you don't understand. You've got to throw away all the other gods because they're all fake. There's only one true God, and that's Jesus. That's when they started feeding them to the lions and burning them for lights in the circus and all of these horrible and terrible stories. You see, love demands, true love demands action, and true love demands the best. Not second best, not half best. Not plan A, B, C, D, E, pick one. His only begotten Son. What did the apostles say when they were called into question before the very men that crucified Jesus? Humanly speaking, of course. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we... How many of you remember the next word that's in that verse? Must. It doesn't say might, could be, will be. It says must. Salvation is God's direct desire for every human being. And if you're going to gain that salvation that God's love offers to us, There is only one pathway that leads unto life, and that is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope I never, ever get tired. This is the written Word. He is the living Word. And don't you dare separate the two. You see, there's a reason why God gave His Son. Love demands it. But love also tells us that it's the best. But let's just 
Go back, if your Bibles are still open, look at verse 9 with me, if you would, of chapter 3. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and you receive not our witness. Now, why is Jesus using a plural pronoun here? Jesus was the only one standing before Nicodemus. They were having this meeting at night for fear of interference and condemnation of, of Nicodemus's peers there. Look at the end of verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man. Now let's read that next phrase there, starting with the word which together. Here we go. Which is in heaven. Oh, wait a minute. What was Jesus saying? Okay. Jesus is saying, listen, Nicodemus, you're a master, you're a rabbi, a teacher, a student of the laws of God, and you don't understand what the laws are about at all. You don't understand the most base things that are in the law, let alone. He said, we, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he said, we've testified these things to you. God used... Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments to Moses. We're going through that time in our Sunday school time. Right, those stories right now as we speak. God has sent His prophets. He's endued them with the Holy Spirit of God to bring that message. And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you of earthly things and ye believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He says, no man has ascended. But I'm in heaven right now while I'm speaking to you. I'll tell you that that is one of those things. You go, how can that happen? Well, he is God. Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. There are no other saviors. There is a purpose in this Gift. How many gifts have purpose to them? A little over, let me get this right, 31 years ago, I gave my wife a gift. She wasn't my wife at that point. The gift I gave her had intent. It was called an engagement ring. Because in receiving that gift, she was telling me, that she shared my intentions that we should live our lives together. And then she received another gift, and I received a gift of her on our wedding day. It's not the ring that keeps us married. It's the promises that we made to the Lord. It's our if we might say, our belief in each other and in God that allows us to put up with each other's failures and 
problems in humanity. That's what makes marriage wonderful. And God says that whosoever believeth on him. In him, I'm sorry. That whosoever believeth in him. Isn't it amazing everything we can believe in and still have a problem believing in God? I mean, we believe in all kinds of things, do we not? How many of you believed in Santa Claus at one time in your life and willing to admit it? I mean, I did. My parents told me I believed. I remember... I still remember crying. You lied to me. And I'm sitting there going, I'm not going to do that to my kids. But I'm sitting there going, we, we believe in all kinds of things. And when it comes to believing in God, well, I'm not sure I can do that. You know, it used to be at least according to the stories of the old-time preachers that I've talked to in person, they would go to a person and say, here's what the Bible says. If you reject God and God's gift, you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Would you believe in God and what Jesus did for you? And the answer would constantly be, I'd be a fool not to. I remember one man... Uh, They tell the story he had been witness to, and he says, I'll give this thing a whirl. Well, 40 years later, he was still a missionary in Germany telling people about Jesus. I I don't think he meant, we're going to try this out. He meant, I'm going to believe in the Lord Jesus. And he may have had some intention, but I'll tell you, when you trust God, God takes care of who and what you are. Amen? And he changes you. And and I, I... I I never, if there is anything that I am astounded with, if there is anything that just simply floors me as a preacher, something that I just cannot grasp, even when I look in the mirrors, how we can say we believe in God and then not do the things He says. Not surrender to the simplest things. Not follow Him in baptism. Not serve Him as a member of a church. Not... Live for God as we should. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Look with me, verse 17 through 19. For God sent not His Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you contemplated that? I was going through my sermons 
And I know I preached on John 3.16, but I couldn't find any of the outlines. I'm sitting there going, wow, we're going to take a day and just spend on John 3.16. Hell is a real place. We're born in the image of Adam. But we cement that perversion in God's original plan when we each personally chose and choose sin. We deserve death. We deserve to perish. We are on the road to utter destruction. And by the way, God is an eternal God and He has created us with eternal souls. And you are destined to eternal life in heaven or eternal death in the lake of fire. There are no options. There is no end to the eternality of the human soul. That's why reincarnation and all of that is just simply the invention of man's foolishness. God has created each of us as a unique, individual, eternal soul. We have a beginning. It's called our birthday. And we will end in eternal life or eternal death. And God's love asks and pleads and offers each one of us in this room, each person that has ever walked the dust of this earth, an opportunity to not perish. An opportunity to grab a hold of eternal life. The conquistadors sought for the fountain of youth so that they could live forever. None of them ever found it because it's not a fountain. It's a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we write all of these stories about people who are dead that can't die and people who do this and do that. And Let me tell you, your soul is eternal. And it will die every moment for all eternity if you refuse God's love. No one goes to hell without trotting underfoot the love of the God who created this world. That is a terrible thought. Yet it's the teaching of our Savior that broad is the way. Wide is the gate, broad is the way, which leadeth unto destruction, and many be that go in thereat. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life. And Jesus said to strive to enter in at that straight gate. He said, many are going to try, many are going to attempt, and they're not going to be able to. Because they refuse to adopt the mind and understanding of that little child. God will give it to you. All you got to do is ask Him. That you can simply believe on the Lord Jesus and His finished work. And follow Him as a dear child. You know, if we believe this verse... We should follow our Savior. Amen? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. Lord, it is so amazing that there is no other religion that comes even close to what the Bible teaches. Lord, that you loved us and that your love gave us a Savior who is God in human flesh that died for us. That there is no work that we can do, no attainment to which we can reach. All we can do is say yes to what you have said about us, yes to what you have said about your Son, and yes to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would bring us face to face with who we are and our frailty. Lord, our world is just screaming at the top of its lungs, trying to drown out the simple childlike faith of the Bible. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be turned toward Thee. And those here that are in this auditorium that have been saved, that they would understand that same simple childlike faith that saved them will guide them each day through their lives Baptism, church membership, service in the church. These are not complicated or complex things. In fact, they're so simple, many of us believe that they're too simple. Lord, we pray for those that are sitting here today that have yet to be saved. They have never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe a Lord Jesus Christ, maybe Jesus and something else but only Jesus. Lord, we pray the Holy Spirit of God would have freedom to move and convict. Lord, we would stop our mind from playing games with words and thoughts and feelings and just simply as that little child trust in Jesus. We ask that you would do your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together for the invitation. I'm going to change the song of invitation this morning. Just going to do Jesus Loves Me, this I know. Can we do that? Um, Just pick a key. We're just going to sing the first verse together. And then I'm going to ask the pianist to continue to play. And if you're here today without the Savior, I'm asking you, would you just come forward and trust Jesus? If you're here and you're not making decisions that you know the Bible says you ought to make, would you just step out and say, I'll be obedient. And as we sing, let's sing this first verse together and then we'll take a time to pray and seek what God would have us to do. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to Him belong. We are weak, but He is strong. 
Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me. So as the piano continues to play, if you need to come to the altar and spend some time with the Lord, 